never been able to say exactly what I mean. It's like trying to describe green to a person who is colorblind. Poet and author Maya Angelou. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Few poets ever reached the level of prominence enjoyed by Maya Angelou. But of course, she was much more than a poet. She was author, essayist, memoirist, and civil rights activist, and and not a bad singer, as you'll hear in a few minutes. During her lifetime, she worked with both Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. And in 1993, Angelou recited her poem on the pulse of mourning at the first inauguration of President Bill Clinton. I met her just a few months later. So here now, from October 1993, Maya Angelou. I never tried to be uh, obtuse or obscure or difficult. I tried for the opposite. I tried to be clear and plain. Uh, Not so plain as to be boring, but, I mean, uh, accessible. Um, I think I've tried to look at Lessons I either have learned or lessons which at least have been offered to me and I didn't learn them, but seem to be valid uh, uh, exercises. I found your book almost like, remember the, those old advertisements for Lay's potato chips? You can't eat just one. <laughs> I found that you can't read just one. Oh, thank you. You have to go on to the next. And I, I've got several favorites. I love the, the complaining. Oh, yes. I love living well, living good. Or, or uh, Yes. Did I say it right? Yes, uh, but they're they're just these these little nuggets, and they're they're deceptively short. You look at this and you say, "What can she say in two or three pages?" You say a lot in Thank two or three you. pages. Thank you very much. It's very um, challenging to say what one wants to say in a few pages. I, I remember hearing a, a joke, a story that a writer wrote to his editor and said, "Here's." That piece you wanted from me, it's 20 pages. But if you'd given me more time, I could have made it 10. <laughs> That's exactly right. You do choose your words very carefully. Yes. Yes. Because to a poet, words, one word has to carry an enormous amount of meaning. That's right. And to a prose writer, too. I've, I think I'm careful because I believe words are things. I believe that in another hundred years or less, we will be able to measure the impact of words on things. As now photographers are able to photograph people and the aura which surrounds them, then I think that in time, words, their meaning and their implica- their meaning and their impact will be measurable. So one has to be very, very careful in the choosing of words. When did you know that words were that important to you? When did you know that words might be your life? Well, from the time I was seven and a half until I was almost 13, I was a mute. And I listened. I listened very carefully. I used to think of my whole body, that I could make my whole body an ear. And I could walk into a room 
and absorb sound. Almost breathe it in, just right through my pores. Um, I loved words. I still do. And I love the human voice. I've never heard a human voice I disliked. I've heard a lot of things the human voice said, (laughs) which uh, have been hurting and cutting and painful. But any way we sound, I like it. That really is the secret, is it not? To to enjoy what you've got, go with the flow or whatever way you want to put it, uh, see life as an adventure. Yes, exactly. And to be present. You see, I think that we cut short our enjoyment and our possibility of of having a, a positive I- effect on life when we are not totally present. If I was partly present at my next interview, that would I would cut short my effectiveness with you and my ability to enjoy talking and trying to explain myself to you. Now, when I leave this place, I will be totally present at the next place. But I think that is uh, one mistake we make, and it's a sad mistake, because everything is diminished by living halfway in the next day. You've just hit on the reason why I no longer come to interviews with clipboards full of questions, because you can get so lost in this abyss of questions that you're bound to determine that person's going to answer, that you lose track. You you lose all the enjoyment of of the give and take of conversation. That's right, and that's it. That is such a a true phrase. Conversation can only be achieved with give and take, with attention to the converser a conversant, and to be able to have the time to reach in one's mind and choose the word, because, you see, Bill Thompson, it's impossible to translate oneself. Utterly impossible. That is to say, I have never been able to say exactly what I mean. It's like trying to describe green to a person who is colorblind or uh, a, a, or a melody to a person who has difficulty hearing. Um, so each time one human being speaks to another human being, it, we, ne- neither of us is a- ever able to say exactly what we mean. But you can come pretty close. Well, you can come kind of close. <laughs> How did you decide what was to go in the book and what you had to leave out? I thought of of some of the large, broad slashes of color, uh, of uh, of modes of living, of big human ideas like love, jealousy, uh, Despair, death, laughter, self-esteem, all those things. And I, I wondered how I had dealt with the question 
let those great ideas arise and rise. So I started writing on on the subject, and quite often the the essay would be eight or ten pages, and then I would start to pull it down and clean it up and and make it not terse but but tight and exact exact because yes. you had time to take it from twenty pages down to ten <laughs> at the time that's right you may be too modest to call this wisdom, but this is wisdom this is the wisdom of of your years of your experience of your perceptions well yes it is certainly my deductions you know and i have no modesty i'm none <laughs> modesty is a learned affectation and it's not very attractive what i hope i have is humility humility comes from within out modesty is external you see so um i waste no time in modesty but um i know that some some of the the results which i've come up with seem to hold water seem to be valid however everything is in process and i pray that i have enough courage to be able to say if convinced by small child that the position i held was untenable i'd love to be able to say to everybody hey everybody you remember what i said yesterday well i don't believe that anymore i hope so i want to be i want to love the search for truth but i don't want to love a position because it is the woman's prerogative to change her mind. <laughs> and a man's too, if he only would use it. <laughs> that, that opening essay, which you, uh, you talk about uh, uh, the, the, this early identification with women as storms or as ships or as <laughs> Lady Luck, and the woman, and, and how many of us, men and women, have done exactly what you did, and, and for fear of being ridiculed for changing our mind, we stuck with the position. There Regardless was... of how stupid it might have been. <laughs> yes, yeah, and dangerous. <laughs> exactly. Because we have the pride, not only women, but men too, we have the pride that, that we don't want to be, we don't want to look flighty, we don't yes. want to look indecisive. That's right. In this business world, you make a decision, you better stick with it. That's right. Don't be frivolous just because you've been found to be stupid. <laughs> <laughs> don't change your mind. It's too sad. Are we to take your title literally? It wouldn't take nothing for your journey? No, I wouldn't take. I mean, there is nothing that would would uh, make me exchange what I have done and and the the narrow tunnels I've been able to come through and the the deep waters I have forged and with the help of God and a lot of other friends. Um, that's a wonderful song that it's it's a nineteenth century song which says I'm on my journey now Mount Zion my journey now Mount Zion and I wouldn't take nothing 
Mount Zion for my journey now. Mount Zion. So pretty and so, so beautiful. Um, everything costs, you see. I mean, it costs to win, it costs to lose. So, if I have paid with attention, some courage, some laughter, some love to have arrived here at this place, what would I take for it? There is nothing. I don't want to go back, surely. (laughs) I don't want to relive anything, anything. Certainly, of course, not the painful things and bad things and difficult things, but I don't want to relive the good things. Not the inaugural poem? No, no. I did my best with that. I did my very best in writing it and in delivering it. And that is a fait accompli. That has happened. I, there is nothing I would give up, nor anything I would take for being right here this very minute. It takes a great deal of courage to say something like that, doesn't it? I don't know. I think maybe if you live long enough, it doesn't take any courage at all. <laughs> In 2013, Maya Angelou published the seventh volume of her autobiography. She died in 2014 at age 86. Well, if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to Now I've Heard Everything in your favorite podcast app. We're on all the major platforms, and we post new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Thanks for listening. Now, next time on Now I've Heard Everything, we look ahead to Father's Day, which is coming up a week from Sunday. We'll be featuring interviews from my archive with people talking about their fathers. And we'll start with Rain Pryor the daughter of comedian Richard Pryor. People refer to him as a stand-up comic, and he's not even your traditional stand-up. He's a storyteller. But everyone's so related to him, and I think that's why people loved him, is that he was so truthful and so brought those people alive that you just wanted to laugh with him and hug him. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Bill Thompson.